And so the way I try to translate that here is if you really want total control or at least more control over what you are, what you want to become, and ultimately the legacy that you have built and leave, and I believe fundamentally every single person who has ever lived is building and leaving a legacy. In a crude laboratory in the basement of his home. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Today, we have a tremendous episode for you, a conversation with Chris Klein, the executive director of the Agents Council for Technology. That is a group within the national big eye. Chris has been a friend for many years, and not just because we both were kind of born and grew our careers out of the insurance industry, but because of our love of basically all things interesting. And what I mean by that is we talk science, physics, space, conspiracy theory, um, personal development, psychology, philosophy, sales, growth, leadership. Chris is really a renaissance man. I enjoy every conversation I have with him. It has been a great honor to become his friend. And I was so happy when he decided to write his book, The Inertia of Legacy, a wonderful book breaking down the concepts that have really helped Chris uh, define and grow his career and his own uh, mental models and mindset. And it just is a pleasure to have him on the show. It's a pleasure to have a conversation with him, and you're going to get a lot out of this. I was also very honored to write the foreword to Chris's book, Inertia of Legacy, so that was very cool as well. So if you do pick up a copy, and I encourage you to do so, uh, there'll be links in the show notes. I highly recommend that you pick up the Inertia of Legacy. And if you do, you will see a short little brief clip from me at the front, um, just kind of expressing some of my thoughts and feelings as well as uh, what it means and the honor it was to be part of this project for Chris. If you're enjoying the show, guys, my one ask is that you share the show. Sharing the show helps other people find it. It helps the community grow and it helps us when we reach out to more guests. Uh, A lot of big name guests, they want to see numbers stats, things like that before they'll come on because everyone's busy. And as we continue to grow the show, we continue to bring more diverse conversations, more diverse and interesting people into the show who have ideas and concepts that are going to help us grow, not just in our business, but in our life. And that is what the show is all about. That's why we call it Finding Peak. It is the journey to becoming the best version of ourselves. I love you for listening to the show. Let's get on to Chris Klein. So what's going on, man? Oh, man. Uh, well, obviously the book's out. Uh, my son started his freshman year of college. Oh, my gosh. Where's he going? He is going to a local uh, like a community tech school to get his feet wet. Nice. It's literally called Central Ohio Technical College. And uh, he wants to study biology. And maybe just not quite ready to go away yet. And... Not really even sure where that would be. So we're very fortunate that this place is commutable. Yes. And he's he's diving in, seeing what it's all about. So that's an, I mean, as you know, we've all lived it, but you know, it's, it's fascinating at that age to be yeah. making these decisions and having those experiences. Yeah. 
biology is also one of those topics that sounds amazing until you get to college. And then once you start realizing what biology is actually like at the college level, you're kind of like, I'm not sure. That was what it was like for me with engineering. So like coming through high school, I was always good at math and science. And uh, while later in life, I continued to enjoy science. I, you know, math is whatever. But like, I was like, oh, engineering is great. And there was like an engineering class in high school that I took and I did really well and I liked it. And then I got to college and I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. Like I hate everything about this. Like it just, you know, it was so funny how at the high school level, man, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. This is great. You know, build stuff, design stuff. And I got into college and I couldn't have been more disconnected from the topic. It was crazy. I just wanted nothing to do with it. Well, see, that's fascinating. So I know that I know you and I have this in common. So I went into college. I was just, I was going to be a mechanical engineer. There was no two ways about it. Cause I love to design things and build things and had even considered industrial design. And my dad was an engineer. I mean, the whole thing. Right. And I, I dealt with it this way. I, I loved the idea. I mean, we got into mechanical drawing, heck, even just learning to write, you know, like it would be on a blueprint was something, maybe I'm aging myself there. But um, I joke about this, you know, in the book that just came out, but I ran flat out of horsepower in the middle of calculus too. And I got to the point where I couldn't even spell math anymore. It was and, thermodynamics uh, for me. That's what right. broke me. Thermodynamics broke me. I, uh, I, I, dude, it was funny. And I didn't even know this. I mean, is what, as many conversations we had, I didn't even know this about you until I read the book um, that that we started the same way. I went to school to be a mechanical engineer and I had a one six coming out of my freshman year. I had to back out of three of the eight classes that I was supposed to take because my grades were so bad that I got out before like you officially fail. So I had like 12 credits and a one six going into my sophomore year and Man, I hit thermodynamics, and I just remember sitting there one day at class going, not only do I not understand, I don't care to understand. And when that hit me, I knew I had to make a change. And I literally walked from that class. This was like halfway through second semester of my sophomore year, thermodynamics. I walked from that class to the guidance counselor's office. (laughs) And my guidance counselor for the first time sat down, and she said, what's going on? And I was like, I hate my major. I need to find something else. And um, that's how that was it. I just couldn't do it. I was getting smoked. And I also realized it just wasn't what I wanted for my life, but it was well, just, that's important too. Couldn't it's funny do it. that and there's a million other things to talk about, but I remember this vividly. I was in, in that calculus class and a couple of buddies I had met. And I mean, I remember this vividly. The professor gets up and he goes, I'm going to give you my grading, a grading philosophy for this semester. And he goes, 80 and up is an A, and then we go down 10 points. And of course, in my gut, I'm thinking, man, I can get a, like 50 and still technically pass this thing. And I think three or four, he had, oh, and he had a no drop policy. So, mm. I mean, four credit, I mean, he's a biggie. And so you're in it all the way to the end. And he, he was adamant on the no drop. So in the middle of this thing, I had that same epiphany. I don't have the chops for this thing. There's no way in the world. I'm flying into a cliff. I can see it. We're all going to watch the explosion. Let me out. And he goes, you know, I'm not going to do it. I think at that point I had passed one out of the four tests and it was, it was just a mess. Um, so anyways, change the majors, go on and kind of do everything. And, but then 
the creative thing stuck. So I went directly from mechanical engineering into graphic design. And I mean, it's kind of a wild thing to have physics and calculus and thermodynamics and all of these things as my minors as a graphic designer. But uh, yeah, it was an interesting trajectory. You know, it's funny. You definitely, you can feel technical in high school uh, and not be technical. College sorts that out for you. You know, um, actually the, I just, interviewed a guy uh it'll be the interview that comes out before this one his name's ken rusk and he wrote this book uh, blue collar Ca- blue collar cash i think it's called and his whole shtick is about not necessarily that college is bad but that there is a certain that we've been kind of sold a bill of goods for a lot of kids there are obviously some professions and some individuals who college is the best next decision he wasn't anti-college but he was very much advocating for um, getting into the workforce and, and the thought process behind getting into the workforce because, and I think this is really interesting, it's different from your and my time and, and certainly going to be different for uh, this generation and then my kids that are probably about 10 years behind, um, is that the access to information at such a inexpensive cost and the exact information that you want and or need it's so much different today, right? Like I would never in a million years think about going back and getting my MBA, though I read newsletters and have paid for courses on topics that would be taught in an MBA curriculum for like a couple hundred bucks. And I do it on my own time at night. And like, I, I look at that and I'm like, man, if my, you know, I'm not going to hard advocate for my kids to go to school if they want to go, if there's a reason, et cetera. My son said to me the other day, he goes, well, because obviously if you listen to this show, then you understand my politics and where I stand on life and how I talk to my children like they're adults. But my 10-year-old goes to me the other day. He said, uh, Dad, you know, I'm only going to college if I get a sports scholarship. Otherwise, I'm just going to, I'm just going right into business. And I was like, there's like a big part of me. I was like so proud. Of him. I was like, just the fact that like he hasn't just locked into this mindset of, you know, the next phase for me after is a four year school and blah, 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 blah. Cause I firmly believe in community colleges. I firmly believe in trade schools, um, apprenticeships, all these kinds of things I think are so much more viable today because of the access to information. I hadn't considered it that way. I think that's a really simple, but yet very profound thought process there that the part of what you go to school for is to learn. The other part of it is to learn how to think, or at least in theory, to learn how to think. Yep. And that's, that's why I'm working through that with my son. So I was trying to teach this. He loves to build stuff. He's been a Lego guy and a brain flakes guy. And even at 19 years old, he still is in his happiest spot when he's doing that. And so I'm, trying to articulate to him, I said, think about what you're learning in the class is literally nothing more than being given the Legos. Yep. What you need to start to think about or start to do is now translate what to do with the Legos. Where in high school, it was just about memorizing the Legos. Yep. And so now there's a whole next level to that. And now what do you build with it and do something with that? And it, I think that the point that, you know, your prior guest mentioned is you might not have to go pay tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to get the Legos. So it's going to be fascinating to see what society does with that because 
even with it being more than just the knowledge or learning how to think, it used to be a badge of commitment to say that, hey, I'm willing to devote this time to learn and become proficient in something as a front door to corporate life or more advanced job opportunities. But I look across some of, let me rephrase that, a very meaningful percentage of some of my closest friends at this point in life didn't go to college in the traditional sense. And they're phenomenally successful people. Yeah. This is a key, you know, we never had a college degree requirement at Rogue Risk ever. And about a year ago, I came out very strongly when we started really hiring, when we kind of went from like nine or 10 people up over 20, we did that in a fairly short amount of time. And I made it very clear that you do not need a college degree to work for this company. Cause I don't think anything that we do in insurance, anything, even underwriting requires a college degree. It requires very arcane and specific knowledge and information about how business works and about underwriting models and et cetera. But that none of that is a college degree. So that being said, I think does a college degree show that maybe you understand how to handle complex things? Sure. That it could mean that. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to have a college degree, but it certainly wasn't a requirement. And I got a lot of pushback from people and not even like necessarily negative pushback, just like questioning that. And to me, I I could not find a strong counter argument to college beyond they've had exposure to higher level concepts. Sure. But if that person was involved in a business in any capacity outside of like McDonald's, they've probably also in the business world or in whatever capacity they were working before also been exposed to higher level concepts because the minute you step into the real world, everything is a higher level concept. So like, you know what I mean? Like that's the word that I, I feel like you don't need college for that anymore. Like I think college used to provide a safe space and I don't mean safe in the woke way. I mean, safe in the actual sense, a safe space for individuals to test out life right? Test things. I feel like it was a testing. I could test. What if I had a few too many drinks? It was safe. I was in this. I, what if I tried this major and it didn't work? Okay. What if I don't study for this test and I fail? Okay. It's not the end of the world. Like we had all these these little micro tests that were also in a space where we could make mistakes and be okay. But at the end of it, you got this extreme amount of value because it was a, a, calling card to 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 a few steps ahead it, i don't think it gets you those few steps ahead today and that, that's the big difference for me i feel like you know you look at what's going on with our colleges today and the types of individuals that they're producing um who do not live in reality uh and are kind of you know at best spoon-fed a recreation of history that i don't know many rational humans would agree with outside of maybe technical trades and even there uh, there's a mind virus that's being put into these kids that somehow you know and, and this is one of the things i talked to him about and i'm interested in your taking it i mean with how your career has gone and everything you've done and now having written a book which is a major undertaking like i tend to see the world breaking down into two groups the people who believe that somehow life is supposed to be easy and the people who understand that it's supposed to be hard and that I come back to most things on 
That's the delineation. You could have your feelings on this topic or that topic or whatever, climate change. I'm not trying to get political in that regard. I feel like there is a clear defining characteristic of our society today of people who operate every day feeling that life is somehow supposed to be easy and maybe theirs isn't and they're unhappy because of that, but they have this expectation that it's supposed to be easy or easier than it is. And then the people who kind of just push through life in a way going, everything's going to be hard. My relationship with my spouse, as much as I love it, it's going to be hard. My relationship with my kids, as much as I love them, it's going to be hard. My relationship with my friends, as much as I get along with them, we have all these, it's going to be hard. My business, my work, my hobbies, it's going to be hard. And then in approaching it that way, they have a different set of expectations and ultimately more happiness, more meaning, more purpose. And then we have this whole other group. And I think so many of them have been taught in liberal colleges and liberal arts colleges in particular, especially on the coast, where like somehow life is supposed to be easy, like you're not supposed to have to work hard or rent isn't a thing or, you know, there's like this, like the problems that they have to me are just, you don't under, like, you don't get it. Like outside of these suburban communities on the coast, the rest of the world doesn't operate the way you, the way you live. I don't know. It's just so weird to me. Yeah, I don't, it's fascinating, right? We could spend hours upon that. And I, I, I guess one of the things I've become, um, I don't know what the right word is. It's just really consumed me in recent years is nothing is is very cleanly binary. And is it hard or is it supposed to be easy? Um, Whether it's supposed to be hard or not, I is probably another conversation. Recognizing that most everything will be hard is and so maybe that is saying the same thing um but you know you try to have a conversation that i mean anything worth having i mean if if the test is easy if whatever the test is right a paper test or if the answers fall out of the sky onto your paper then like what value do you place on the esoteric grade that comes with that and so but the other part of it is so in anything that you would really ever want is going to be hard. We just talked about that. I mean, you're trying to figure out like, what are you going to be when you grow up and how do you find a path out of college or a path through a career? It takes getting knocked down. It takes skin knees. I mean, it, it's all part of really the, the dynamic, a little bit of what's built into the book, but um, maybe it's where I live, Ryan. I don't encounter, you know, I'm in the middle of Ohio, uh, grew up in a very rural community, Fortunately, didn't grow up around a ton of people who had that full-blown entitled. East Coast elitists you're talking about? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I interact with people from all over the country and globe, quite literally, you know. In, in a- What's up, guys? Sorry to take you away from the episode, but as you know, we do not run ads on this show. And in exchange for that, I need your help. If you're loving this episode, if you enjoy this podcast, whether you're watching on YouTube or you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, I would love for you to subscribe, share, comment if you're on YouTube, leave a rating review if you're on Spotify or Apple iTunes, et cetera. This helps the show grow. It helps me bring more guests in. We have a tremendous lineup of people coming in, uh, men and women who've done incredible things, sharing their stories around peak performance, leadership, growth sales. 
the things that are going to help you uh, grow as a person and grow your business, but they all check out comments, ratings, reviews. They check out all this information before they come on. So as I reach out to more and more people and want to bring them in and share their stories with you, I need your help. Share the show, subscribe if you're not subscribed, and I'd love for you to leave a comment about the show because I read all the comments, or if you're on Apple or Spotify, leave a rating review of this show. I love you for listening to this show, and I hope you enjoy it listening as much as I do creating the show for you. All right, I'm out of here. Peace. Let's get back to the episode. Professional sense, but maybe I'm just now at the point in my life and career where the proverbial birds of a feather thing works and the people that I associate with have all kind of lived a little bit and lost something and put more energy into getting through it and clarity about what they're trying to accomplish, knowing that that's really a never, it's never a completed thing. So yeah. if I'm responding. Yeah, you know, no, really, you respond however you want. I think, I think you're right. I think that, um, I think I, I, look at this topic a lot because I think through who I am today, who I was a year ago, three years ago, you know, the last few years of my life in particular, certainly the last decade of my life has been more, and I'm going to use the word tumultuous. It, certainly it's had an incredible amount of positives and amazing things have happened. I don't want to say tumultuous in a purely negative way. It has just been, there's been a lot of change. So I look at that. And I've come across so many different people and obviously I'm more public with my beliefs and I have this podcast and I write a lot. So I get a lot of feedback and um, I think through, you know, and then having kids that are starting to come of age to a certain extent, you know, are certainly on the early precipice of that and wanting them to be able to engage in the world in a way that makes them successful certainly puts them farther ahead than where I was. Um you know, I think about these things a lot and I think about the mistakes that I've made in my past, how I want to change them. And it comes, you know, so much of it comes back to some of these ideas that like, I, every time I started to get comfortable, I, you know, things change has happened changes come out of almost nowhere and what i've started to you know what the, where, I, where my mind has started to go is that i i say it's supposed to be hard because whether it is or it isn't it sets the expectation that as you said it's going to be hard and then therefore when i when i encounter something that's tough be it tough physically or tough mentally or spiritually etc relationally then there's no i don't wake up that day going whoa why me me again you know why does this always happen to me you know one of those things that i think is very negative very very detrimental to our progress because i just wake up every day going this shit's going to be tough and and okay let's do it you know what I mean? Like my expectation, it's going to be hard. And then therefore, when the hard things happen, I, it's just a part of the day. It's just another, got to have a hard conversation. All right, let's do it. Got to send a tough email. No problem. Just lost a client that we didn't want to lose. Hey, let's learn from it. Let's figure it out. If we can't get him back, let's make sure it doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Versus that 
woe is me. Why is this happening? It's not my fault. It's Chris's fault. You know what I mean? It's Chris's fault that this is happening, not my fault. So I think just turning the mirror or I guess spinning the lens around, putting it all on me and saying like, look, like everything that happens to you in your life is your fault. And that's a tough one for people. It's a tough one for me, but it has changed my outlook on life. It's changed how I approach it. And um, it's added an immense amount of meaning and purpose that I don't even know was there a few years ago. Um, I think that's why I focus so much on that idea. No, I think, yeah, I'm a huge believer in of the very few things in our existence that we can control or at least have the perception that we can control our attitude about stuff and that is on that short list. And that's really what, you know, what you alluded to. I mean, just acknowledging that the day is going to have speed bumps and things are going to be hard and you have to forge through that stuff is it, I, to me, that's a win. And, you know, it's, again, these are things that become concepts that, I mean, really, I mean, quite candidly, are, are sort of in the book. I mean, there are yeah. forces at play all the time. I'm working against you and then working forward, you know, for you. And then the more you put into understanding where you are and where you're trying to get to and what effort or energy you're putting into that or not, then you can start to understand what things you're going to have to encounter to get there. Yeah. I, I feel like that's a huge, a huge opportunity for a lot of folks um, because you can, it is really easy to get on the hamster wheel. And I'm also a huge advocate of comparing and contrasting where the, the, you know, again, I mean, this physics math stuff that sort of seems to fall out of my face every time I talk now, but think about how we learned about, you know, it takes two points essentially to make a line. Um, and people get overly celebratory and overly negative about a single point on the line and it's okay, but understanding that it's more about what trajectory things is. Are we overall going in a positive direction, knowing that there's ups and downs or are you going backwards? And so any state in any given time can be awesome, but tomorrow could be better or tomorrow could be horribly worse or the day prior could be. And I think having an appreciation for, the overall ride you're on and being intentional about that. So that the moment you're in right now is, is just that it, it doesn't become overly defining. And you go back to the school stuff, right? You hear about all these kids that they peaked in high school or they peaked at this point. And like, I mean, that blows my mind to think about. I mean, that's just completely conceding that you're in control and have yeah. more control than most people are willing to take accountability for. For where they go into the future. And I think that kind of ties back a win. People with a woe, oh, woe is me, don't feel like they have any control and therefore they don't have any accountability for what happens and what their own actions are. And that's, it's a, it's not a spot I want to be in. Who, I mean, who am I to judge? I mean, you could talk about how I think about that in the book and the quadrants, but there's a spot on the inertia of legacy matrix for people like that. Yeah. Um, and none of these are life sentences. None of this stuff's forever. I mean, you wake up tomorrow and change your attitude about something good or bad. Um, I don't know. I'm rambling at that point. But. No, you're doing good. Let's talk about the book. Let's sure. All right. Book. And obviously I wanted to talk about some of these things just because they're all, they're all yeah. uh, topics around uh, what the book is. And I, I, I'm so proud of you just as your friend that you did this. It's such a big accomplishment to put it together. 
Uh, cover's beautiful. I love it. I'm very honored that you let, allowed me and asked me to write the forward to the book. It was a, just a, uh, an honor to, to do that. Um, so before, you know, and obviously I've, everyone's already heard this because when the podcast goes out, I'll have mentioned the name of the book at the start, but it's the inertia of legacy. Let's, before we get into the book itself, um, let's do a little, let's do just some definitions. Let's do a little yeah. English language work here first. Um, inertia. For the non-nerds out there, what is inertia and how do you apply it in this context? Yeah, so we can go straight there. I, I'm usually, oh, I'm overly prone to even walking into how in the world I got to the point where I'm thinking about a scientific principle in general and then how that can translate potentially into our personal, professional, or business lives. And that's been a number of years. And so... Um, and we could spend time on that if you'd like, but you know, in my mind, inertia is one of Newton's three laws of motion that we all learn. And so there's a one-on-one level or sixth grade science remedial exploration of this in the book with some real world examples that we've all seen a ball on a table and an airplane, but it essentially states that an object in motion will stay in motion unless acted upon by an external force or an object at rest will stay at rest unless acted upon by an external force. And so when I start to think about that in our own lives, it is, it's this number of the forces in this case, and I do take some liberties in that. And so these are things internal that we control and govern and can take advantage of and do something with or not. And then there are external forces that could be market conditions. It could be a bully on the playground. It could be a strong advocate or a coach or a mentor at your work, or it could be somebody who's out to undermine you. It could be all of those types of things. But if you are even happy with where you are, so you could potentially be at rest or on that trajectory, either way you want to apply that, there are fundamental forces that are putting you there. And there are always forces that are at play that could alter that. And so, the way I try to translate that here is if you really want total control or at least more control over what you are, what you want to become, and ultimately the legacy that you have built and leave. And I believe fundamentally every single person who has ever lived is building and leaving a legacy. Then you owe it to yourself. Cause I don't know that there's anything more personal ultimately than the legacy we leave behind again, good or bad. Then, you need to understand why you are where you are and what is contributing to that internally or externally. And then ultimately what are the things at play outside of that, that you can leverage or at least have your eyes open to blind spots or things that could come at you and some you can control and some you can't. Um, None of us can control the stock market tanking, although maybe some can, that's a whole different conversation. But, you know, you and I can't, right? But it's a real thing or a hard market, right? I mean, that's a big thing in our industry right now that you can kind of watch people who've never been through one reacting in very different ways. Mm -hmm. Old sages like myself who've been through one or two of them and what that looks like and how that's impacting business. So that's a lot there. But so I take some liberties with the concept, but I want people to kind of wrap their head around is whether you're stagnant or whether you're moving takes effort 
and it takes intention and it takes an appreciation for the forces that you can control and those things that are acting against that because otherwise you can lose it. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things, you know, when I was reading through the book, you know, one of the things that, that I just like a note I wrote down was how many people actually know if they're happy or not, right? Like how many people go through life and I've noticed this, you know, I've obviously, you know, you and I have had many kind of deep discussions about all different kinds of topics and uh, which is one of my favorite things to do. And, you know, it's amazing. But I've also found the vast majority of people are not even interested. Like the level that you and I could go to with two or three beers and enough time is, you know, we could go all over the map and every type of topic and and have these detailed and nuanced, interesting conversations. And it, it's one of the reasons why I enjoy our time together as much as I do. But I don't, I, I kind of, and maybe I could be wrong. I'm interested in your take. You tend to have a more um, managed take than I do on most things. So I, I have found that so many people operate in life at like such a shallow level. And I don't think it's that they're not capable of going deep. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I think most people just kind of skip along the surface of life and hope something good happens to them and hope that everything's okay at the end. And if you ask them, like, are you happy? They'll probably say yes. But then if they really think about it, they might say, well, you know, there's some things and they don't know. And it's like, before you can know, do I need to apply force here or do I need to apply pressure here? Or do you know what? It's like, how do people even start to wrap their head around whether they're happy? Like, what are they happy about? What are they not happy about? It, are they okay with the fact that maybe even though today they have this life, they didn't really want that life. They wanted this life over here. And, you know, I think these are all things that people just like shove down or, or put blinders onto and they, and it's part of the reason they never make change is they just, they don't even know where they are or what they even really want. And before you start to practice and, and take in some of the things that, that you've written in your book, do, do you kind of have to even like know where the hell you are first? Like, is that step one is just like, where the, where are you? Like on the spectrum yeah. of life, like, where are you? Do, do, I find a lot of people don't even know. There's a lot to that. And I'm a huge believer in you got to know where you are today and be honest about that. And I do a little bit of setup in that. Yeah. In the book um, where we talk about what do you know about yourself that you want others to know? And then are you willing to go explore what others know or believe about you that you don't know? Those are two very different buckets of insights. Um, and then are you willing to do the heavy lift? Kind of do this little visual where you really want to empty those buckets and put them all in one buckets where it's stuff that you and others know and believe about you. So now you're operating in a world where there's internal and external force that can contribute to this, where everybody kind of understands what all that looks like. But I do sense, and I appreciate, I sometimes maybe you probably consider I'm a little bit naive or too Pollyanna about crap, but managed, I'll take that. <laughs> but I do believe, and I don't, again, I try not to be negative about this stuff, but you can just read 
even people that are friends, right? Air quotes on your Facebook feed or your social media feed, the amount of, oh, woe is me and just um, darkness that people portray. Um, and it says, I got to go to the doctor and I got to do this and I got to work overtime. And oh my gosh, it's just one negative thing after other. And those are all very real things that are happening. This goes back to the attitude thing. I mean, we're dealing with medical issues and, and, and kids missing school and all of whatever the stuff is in real life. How one wants to think about that. So those are external forces that are happening. And if you don't have clarity about what it is you're trying to become and what you want to be, those will just roll you over. And it's hard to stand tall on those things. And that's why I spent a lot of time in the book. You got to start with some sort of a plan. I mean, get clear and get right about what you want to be. And everybody can do that. I mean, people will look at it and say, boy, I wish I had time to write a book or I wish I had time to go exercise. I wish, I, I mean, I, I was probably guilty for a number of years, despite having what I would consider to be a healthy and a happy career and a healthy and a happy marriage and a healthy and happy childhood and got to do some really cool stuff. Um, but I was going through the motions, but in the last two years, I made a career change. I ran over a thousand miles last year. I'm going to run over a thousand this year. And I, I wrote a book and I don't say that to pat myself on the back. So you gonna, should. Well, okay. Thanks. But I mean, it's only an example that there's time. This is, I mean, these are priority issues Yeah, for people. And the time I spent writing my book was time I would have been sitting in my recliner watching the news or watching friends reruns or whatever the thing is. So it's just about how do you reallocate all of that stuff? And I don't know what, well, I do know some things that sort of triggered that in my life, but um, just not, not going to be taking my last breaths with a long list of, I wish I would as, and yeah, not everybody gets to that point and maybe nobody else can, but I'm just trying to get quick people with the thought that you can, like you can, yeah, you can. just no, take one right. more step tomorrow than today. That's all you got to do. Dude, I'm, this has been the number one thing I get. Am I 75 hard on the things I've been posting around 75 hard? Yeah. And I know yeah. a lot of people have done 75 hard. The number one thing that I get is I wish I had time to work out like that. I'm like, it's two 45 minute blocks of time. That's it. Two 45 minutes blocks of time. One of those blocks, I go for a walk. I put a four, I mean, I put a 40 pound ruck vest on, but like I go for a walk around my neighborhood for 45 minutes. I listen to a podcast or make calls, make phone calls to friends or to work. The other one, yeah, I go to the gym and I work out, whatever, but you could do push ups and sit ups and jumping jacks at home if you wanted. Like you have the time. Everyone has the time. You have the time to learn a new skill. You have the time to be a good spouse. You have the time to be a good parent. You have the time to do all the things. We choose not to do them. And that's what nobody wants to hear. No one wants to hear that it is our choice not to do the things that would help us. It is your choice not to eat French fries and potato chips and bullshit processed food that makes you unhealthy, lack energy, your testosterone level is down or your estrogen level if you're a female, you know, and, and all these things like, like, it's not crazy to say, I'm going to read every day. It's not. You know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to sleep in. I'm going to get up at six every day. Even if I'm working late and go to bed at one in the morning, I'm going to get up at six at the latest. And I'm trying to get back to 5 a.m. But like, and I'm going to read. That's what I'm going to do every day. You have the time. 
I can tell everybody out there as a divorced single dad who runs a company and has about 17 other things to do, including coaching two sports teams and, but you know, try and have a, some sort of romantic life. I don't have extra time in my life yet for the things that matter. I make time. I will pat myself on the back for that because I haven't always been that way. Six years ago before 2017, I was 30 pounds, 25 pounds heavier than I am today. I ate like shit. I did not read like I wanted to. I did not exercise like I wanted to. I wasn't the man that I am today. And it's taken me six years of hard work and focus and learning. And today I can tell everybody there's change the course of my life. My mom's pre-diabetic. If I had stayed on the path I was on, I'd be pre-diabetic at some point in my life too. Fuck that. I'm not going diabetes. Like, I totally get you on, on that as well. I mean, it's just, um, especially the health thing. I mean, I, I know we're connected on, on, on every major platform, but last year, so at 52, well, my annual physical, I'd been on cholesterol medicine for, I don't know, 20 years, right? It's hereditary and you're going to whatever. And I'm moderately active. I mean, I'm traveling the country, racing BMX. I'm also eating chicken wings and fried potatoes Yep, and drinking IPAs and, you know, whatever. So I'm just going to take a pill every day. Well, last year I go after deciding that I'm actually going to go run. And that's a whole priority thing, right? And I get this from some people that go, well, you know, my knees are bad or my joints are bad. And okay, well, don't go run a 5K in the morning, but walk the stairs. I mean, everything is a little bit incremental and you'll get better. And the reason I tell this story is because I, again, I'm, I am patting myself on the back, but this is just an example of a human being deploying the inertia of legacy principles here. A box showed up on Memorial Day weekend of 2021. We're in the middle of COVID. Big box. Didn't weigh anything. I text my wife like, what's in the box? It's from Target or Amazon. It was full of potato chips because I was going through so many potato chips sitting at home working from my home office, you know, not traveling that we were we basically having potato chips drop shipped to my house every day to fuel the thing. And so I'm like, so I haven't had a potato chip since June 3rd of 2021. Oh, good are, for you. Here I mean, we are. Chips are amazing, but yeah. They're amazing. Or a tot or um, a French fry. Oh, but um, so I go through all this and give up chips. It was a pain in the butt for a while, for a month. Like I love to have that stuff. And again, this isn't like, oh, look at me. Look what I did. This is, it's an example of prioritizing something, recognizing that these are forces that are prohibiting me from being as healthy as I want to be or giving me the energy to go do things I want to do. And I do believe, I know you and I believe that physical health has a direct correlation to mental health and mental yeah. capacity yeah. as well. And so long way around saying 12 months ago, I had the best blood work and physical I'd had since I was in my early 20s. Fast forwarded to like two weeks ago, continuing the trend. My doctor says, I don't even know that we need to prescribe you cholesterol medicine anymore. And how rare is that to be on a cholesterol medicine for 20 years as a moderately healthy person and to do enough to be taken off of it? Yeah, it speaks to a couple of things. It speaks to one, how absolutely disgusting and shitty the average American diet is and what we sure. accept as food that's not actually food. Um, two, I'm going to push back on only one aspect of what you said. You, you keep 
being too humble. You made a major change in your life that has drastically improved both your physical fitness, your mental fitness, your overall happiness, meaning, purpose. I'm sure it's improved the relationship with your spouse. I'm sure it's improved the relationship with your child. Like, like you should be, you should not have to put a caveat on that so that all the mediocre average people who are listening don't get offended because you took it upon yourself to change the course of your life. Like, I feel like we do that. And dude, I do the same thing. So I'm kind of preaching to you and speaking to myself at the same time. But like, like we all do this. Like, like I have started to not, I, I no longer apologize for the fact. I try really hard not to apologize for the fact that I work really fucking hard at all the things at becoming better mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, in my relationships, how I connect with people. Like I work really, really hard at those things and have made drastic improvements in my life. And, you know, I'm 10 years younger than you at 42. You know, people think that I look 24, 25 years old. And like, that's not like, sure, I have good genetics. Obviously it's possible, but like, you don't want to live the way that I live my life. I eat whole foods. I eat basically twice a day. I don't really drink that much anymore. I work out really hard twice a day. Uh, I don't eat garbage. I read. When everyone else is watching reruns, I'm either reading or writing or over here creating something. Like everyone wants to know, how do you get all that content out? I don't know. I don't watch bullshit fucking TV. <laughs> That's one thing. You know, I don't play video games. You know, I, personally, do I think it's fun to play games with my kids, video games with my kids when they want to play? It's like a th- bonding thing or whatever. Sure. But like if you're a grown ass adult and you're sitting playing fucking video games and on and unhappy with your life, you have one clear decision and way to get better immediately. Like like if you love your life and you play video games, God bless you. But if you're unhappy and you play video games, you cannot bitch about your physical fitness or why no one wants to have sex with you or all these different things like put yourself, you have to take your life seriously. And that, you know, I, I think your book really plays this out and I love it. It's like you're, you can clearly define the legacy that you have. You can clearly define what that legacy is, but you have to put in the fucking work. And that is what no one wants to do. No one wants to think beyond the next easiest decision. It's that what's the next easiest decision that I can make. I'm going to make the next easiest decision. And it's like, unfortunately that is just not, that's not how you can do that, but then you don't get to have a say in how your life goes at the end that you have, you give up that ability at the end. You give that up. You, you know, and, and I, I, I had Joe Rogan said this other day on a podcast. It smacked me right in the face. And it is like, I've almost become militant with this idea. You don't know any obese 80 year olds. You don't know any, you don't know any obese 80 year olds. So if you're obese right now and I'm not picking on anybody, but if you're not doing work to get yourself physically fit, and it doesn't mean you have to be an Adonis, it means physically fit, you will not live to 80 years old. Just think about that. That well, 60% right now, dude, 60% of our country is obese. 
is morbidly obese. 40%. They will not live to 80 years old. Won't make it. Well, that's it, you know, and I know we're derivative here. I guess I want to come back to that because I was going to talk about Dr. Uh, Peter Atia. I don't know if you follow his stuff as well. Yeah, I love him. He's great. He's um, become somewhat of an evangelist for the dude's um, concepts around longevity. Um, So major shout out if you have any interest in a practical approach to the healthier living. Um, but you're right, you know, so in this, in this book, you know, people, it might seem same esoteric. And part of what I was missing when I sat down to write it was I didn't know how to articulate it in a visual and objective way that I felt like people could wrap their heads around it. And so this had been bouncing around for a number of years and that journey is less important. And so I just dove in, I was like, all right, you know what? I, I believe in this enough. And so when I started to write, it came to me and that's where the inertia of legacy matrix came up where it's just an X, Y axis. We've all gotten exposed to it. Everybody's seen as a very simple way of comparing two seemingly disparate uh, concepts uh, or, or metrics. And so on one axis is the overall health or lack thereof of your legacy. And the other axis is the overall effort and energy one puts into it. And so it creates very distinct quadrants and uh, circumstances with which one can live and there's names for them. It's less important here in the concept, but everybody, I think a lot of people might think they're in the, what would be the upper right quadrant where they've got a healthy legacy and they're doing cool stuff about it. So we go through that we could talk about it. And there's examples. There's a framework that every single quadrant we walk through here, but even in that spot, there's stuff working, always working to knock you out of that quadrant if you don't remain disciplined so we can get into the other laws of motion there and newton's laws about how those things balance the other one the direct opposite of that just by the pure function of an xy axis is a poor or undefined legacy and doing nothing about it and that creates an entirely different set of circumstances to live in and the other ones are funky right and i've been in and out of a couple of these i know this now that i've gone through this but you end up with one where you're sort of in possession of a decent legacy, but your effort is waning. And what can happen with that? And that can become maybe you're getting stale, maybe you're lazy. So that's, again, where you kind of look back at the point in time yeah. versus the journey you're on. And we can start to think about businesses that way or people that we've seen, right? You start to get a little lax and all this cachet you've built up starts to erode. Yeah. On the other hand, maybe you finally decided to get your crap together. And the other one is you've got really no legacy. It's undefined. Let's, but you want to put the effort and energy into that. And so I encourage everybody to read each of the chapters. If at anything, it will help you calibrate on where you really are, but you'll also be able to understand from which people you're interacting with might be starting to and their mindset. And so it's a pretty common self-help motivational type thing. But if you're desiring or already in the upper right quadrant, we call it continuous motion. And you're surrounded by people that are perilously inert, which is the name of the of the opposite one. These are forces that are holding you back. Yeah. And so you have to understand these types of things to get over that. And then there's a path out of each of these things. And there's a tool for that in the book. But um, I think what I hoped to do with the book was to take this concept and say, We've all heard the word legacy. I think if people really explore it and got just for a moment or two in touch with what, what they hope 
the world thinks of them, especially when they're gone. You know, it's, there's a song that said, would anybody cry at my funeral? I mean, like, I think it was by 6 a.m. But those kind of things people ponder. And if there is anything more personal than that over time, we should have that conversation. But yeah. you can get control of that. And to do it, you got to understand where you're at and what are the implications of that. So I have this, you probably recall, a page or two of just questions to ask yourself. And one of them that was one of my favorites is, what would your dog say about you? Like, you know, it's the most honest thing in the world. You know, would your boss rehire you? I mean, some things in that, that just kind of help get people thinking about how in touch or not they are with what their best self can be. And that doesn't mean everybody's not going to be Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or, you know, Tom Brady or, you know, Patrick Mahomes. Very few people are going to achieve that. But man, and you also have to be careful. Do you want that life? That's part of it too. Do, you know, I, I that's just, the other thing too. Is these guys? You know, yeah, sure. They have ten bazillion Instagram reels that replay their quotes with different music behind it. Do you want their life? Like, do you want? I mean, Elon Musk is an. I adore Elon Musk. I don't want Elon Musk life. I don't want his life. I'm good. I'm glad he exists. I'm glad he's doing the things he's doing. I'm glad he's the man that he is. I don't want his life. No, and that's you. okay, right? These are, but these are thoughts, you know, these are choices. And I just, I, I feel like that everybody can be more of what their dream version of their self is. Everybody can be one step closer to that. Yeah. With, Have you ever with, heard of the concept of generational trauma? Uh, I don't know. I've heard it expressed that way. So there's, um, this was, I don't know if it was Huberman or whatever. It was on, um, wasn't on Rogan. I don't know, one of the podcasts I was listening to. And I think it was Huberman was talking about the Andrew Huberman, who's buddies with P- Peter Atia. But, um, but it may not have been, doesn't matter. So the concept goes like this. We, we are impacted by the trauma of the previous three generations and the echoes of that trauma and our trauma that we carry through our life impacts the next three generations after us. So what this individual was advocating for was that the work that you and I are talking about that obviously we both decided to make in our lives in different ways, isn't just doing ourselves a favor it is a responsibility that we have to our family and to our children and to our children's children and to our children's children because alcoholism, abuse, um, anger issues, depression, anxiety, fear, envy, jealousy, you know, narcissism, materialism, secularism, all of these things, these traumas passed down through these next generations. And we have the ability to either understand that we're being impacted by them, deal with them and change the course of the generations to follow, or we can just continue to pass them on. And the bullshit that we went through, our kids will go through and our kids will go through. And that is something that we can break that chain. But we have to one, be aware that we're being impacted by it. And two, understand 
that we can play a role in, in stopping that. You know, like for me, it's alcoholism, right? Like alcoholism has been a major negative in my families and their relationship to alcohol has been a major negative in my, the history of men on my dad's side. And I saw it firsthand and have had my own, obviously I like the booze, um, but I'm also have made a de- clear decision in the second half of my life that I'm not going to allow as much as I possibly can. I am not going to pass that tradition on to my children. I'm not going to tell them they can't drink or they shouldn't drink because I don't think that's the appropriate course of action. But what I do am going to show them is how to have a healthy relationship with alcohol so that when they get older, they can exist in social situations in a very healthy and positive way as much as possible, right? And I'm going to do the best I can to break that cycle. And I think that, sure, I could want to do that. But frankly, if I didn't think alcoholism was going to impact my kids, why would I give a fuck? I would probably, I wouldn't care. But because I know, because I believe this concept to be true, because I know that my interaction and relationship with alcohol will have an impact on my children, I approach it in a very calculated and discerning way. And I think that we can do this with almost every aspect of our life. Yeah. I mean, to be cliched about it, or at least forcing a cliche back to the book, I mean, that's exactly what you're doing. I mean, I use this expression, which I think is an over-liberalization of inertia as a concept, but of being your own inertia. And so in that point, I mean, but it took self-exploration. It took somewhat plotting you or that part of your life and thinking about, I'm not happy with where it is. And that's yeah. not, that's not what legacy I want to leave. And the forces at play in that, if I can be, I mean, are the life and the generations in front of you and the momentum that comes along with that. And to change that takes, you know, I think, I think you talked about it in a recent uh, post. It's the force, it's acceleration it's Newton's second law. And then the third one is it takes yeah. uh, an equal or a greater amount of mass and force to move something off. So you're now doing something very intentional that's very overt that will have to have a prolonged set of behaviors attached to it to correct that. Because, um, again, I mean, I like that generational trauma concept. I, you know, I wouldn't have thought through how many generations it was, but I do believe that to be true because it's, it's a flywheel. Yeah, that keeps spinning, and I do think our kids and those that are sort of in our closest circle live a lot on same the same flywheel or the same hamster wheel, and so to jump off of that is really hard. Yeah, yeah, you anybody can do it. You can absolutely do it. I I don't care if you can't walk a hundred yards right now. Go walk ten yards, right? Walk down one flight of steps back up and then sit back in your couch and then do it again tomorrow and do it one again step tomorrow. More tomorrow than today. Yeah. And do it again tomorrow and do it again. And that is the part, you know, so much of the last year for me, maybe a little longer has been about the idea of discipline. I actually have t-shirts that I that made for myself that I wear. And so many people were asking me about them that I, I, I create a little shop on Shopify or whatever. People can buy them. I don't really make any money off them so they can just buy them. I basically they're at cost, but like, and if you want one, you can go to shop.findingpeak.com and pick one up yourself. But I made these for myself. I made eight different versions of this T-shirt 
just says discipline and underneath it, it's got different sayings. And I made different sayings because I didn't want to wear the same shirt to the gym every day and people think I was nuts, although they probably think I'm nuts anyways. But like, um, it's just a reminder, right? Discipline. It says discipline across the top. And the first one I made said the antidote to motivation. Like the one I wore today says, fuck your motivation. I have one that says quit tomorrow, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. But like for me, I wasn't taught discipline as a kid. And I don't mean discipline like, you know, like ruler on the back of the hand. I mean showing up regardless, right? I wasn't taught that specifically. My, I think my dad showed it to me a little bit in the way his work ethic and stuff. And my mom, they weren't necessarily undisciplined people, but like I wasn't taught this concept of discipline of like, I don't care if it's raining out. You, you got to go for your walk. 40 pound, 45 minute ruck walk is part of how you stay healthy, fit and mentally, you know, mentally, whatever. If it's raining, you still go for the walk, right? Or, eh, I'm tired today. Doesn't matter. You still go to the gym. Eh, I'm not really feeling it today. Doesn't matter. Do, you know, uh, uh, answer and, you know, get rid of those shitty emails at the end of the day so you don't start your day with shitty emails, right? Like, like whatever your things are, journaling, sitting next to your spouse at the end of the day versus separating into two different rooms, even if she's watching some terrible television that you could care less about, right? Like spending, doing those things that matter are a conscious choice. There is no one stopping you from doing them. And, you know, whatever edge case you want to pull out is fine, but there's always a way because because I can find for every edge case that says, here's why I can't do that, Chris. There's another edge case on the other side that we could go find that shows that you can. So like, you know, I just, uh, to me, I think this concept in your book is, it's, it's a core concept to how we're successful in life. I think it's phenomenal. I'm so happy that you put it together. I think the matrix is a wonderful way to visualize it. Um, I highly encourage everybody to go out and get the inertia of legacy. Uh, Chris has done a wonderful job. And um, this is a book that I think is very important. I think people need to, these concepts, yes, they're heady. Yes, they put, they, they force you to think about things that are, not easy to think about. Like I'm, you know, let's say you're 20 pounds overweight. Let's say you're 30 pounds overweight. You know it every day. It's much easier to go, eh, I'm okay. Or, eh, you know, basically everybody at this age, just a few extra pounds. It's a few dad pounds. Fuck dad pounds. I don't, you know what I mean? Like there's no excuse for having them. You can choose to have that weight. You can choose to not read. You can choose to not make extra five phone calls if you're a sales job. You can, those are choices. Like inaction is a choice just as much as action, I guess is what I'm saying. Totally. I think that's the idea that I love about inertia. Why I love that word that you've used in this book is that inaction is just as much a force as, as, as action is a force. And it's a choice either way. So choosing to not act does not mean that you can't do the thing. It just means you made a different choice. No, I mean, yeah, and I know we're, we're wrapping up here and I'll close with an anecdote, but in action, right? An airplane sitting on a runway is in action. Uh, in, not in action. It's an example of inaction. And so it's useless for its intended purpose that way until there's a lot of force that takes. And so talk about incremental change. An air, A pilot doesn't get behind the seat of an airplane. I guess there's a Harriers or some physics freaks out there. But the typical airplane 
God doesn't just yank the joystick and the airplanes at 30,000 feet buzzing along at 500 miles an hour. It takes a lot of thrust, a lot of energy, slow acceleration, building up speed until all the physics starts to take over. And then it takes off. It takes a while for a plane to get in the air. And once it's in the air, all of the forces that kept it motionless on the runway are still at play trying to make it go motionless. Yeah. So you talk about, and I explore that a little bit. And so you think about that as a metaphor for life. You can do it. If you're weighted down, you're heavy, there's friction. There's all these things keeping something motionless. Knowing what your purpose is, applying the proper amount of force and sticking with it to get there. And then being aware of the things that allowed you to take flight. I mean, cheesily take flight um, is important and really is sort of the spirit of the book. But you mentioned something about discipline and getting disciplined and staying disciplined. And a lot of people ask, like, why is there a gyroscope on the cover of your book? What's the metaphor for that? And I close, it's the logo of the company that I built around it and everything. Uh, in the last chapter, it's a half chapter, which kind of was fun with the publisher, is talks about the gyroscope as a metaphor for life. And so I think about that, right? Like, so I'm 53. I feel like I'm spinning pretty well, right? You know, we all seen a gyroscope. You get it spinning. It stands tall. It's very stable. It will even push back against external force. But as the momentum starts to slow down, it starts to wobble and starts to wobble and starts to fall. So when a gyroscope is super powerful, you got to keep the internal flywheel spinning to allow the inertia that keeps the gyroscope stable and used in some of the most sophisticated crap that we've ever developed. That That's the discipline in the momentum that you want to have so that I don't become whatever metaphorical example of an obese 80 year old or a couch potato or one of those kinds of things. It's hard to keep that going. But once it's spinning, it takes a whole heck of a lot of effort, a lot less effort to keep it spinning like the, than it does to start it spinning again. And as we turn older and older and start to deal with the realities of things, complexity in life and physical challenges, it's hard to start and stop and start and stop the flywheel again. And I think that's something really important, you know, to think about. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think you're right. And, you know, I hope people who listen to this, obviously I take a much more stark and harsher tone with some of these concepts, but it's only because I am such an excuse maker Right. I understand. Like when I understand when people don't want to do stuff, like didn't want to do my second workout today. You know, it's four o'clock in the afternoon when we're recording this, finishing this up. I have stuff to do tonight. It's Halloween. I normally go work out in the afternoon. I had to get two workouts in like first thing in the morning for 75 hard. And I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. And you know what I really want to do tonight when I'm walking around trick-or-treating is I want to have a beer with my friends as we watch our kids trick-or-treat because that's what we do every year. I'd love to do that. But like, I guess we just all have to make choices. And I understanding how easy it is for myself to make excuses, I understand how easy it is for whoever's listening who's right now in their head going, yeah, but he doesn't understand, whatever. I completely get it. I Trust me, I get it. Um, I get it as much as anybody. I've had this thing happen to me and I said to myself, I will never break a promise to myself again. I'm going to be more discerning in the promises I make, but in the promises I do make to myself, I am not going to break a promise to myself. And maybe just start there. What's one promise you can make to yourselves 
if you're listening at home, that could change the inertia of your legacy. What's one? It could be a tiny little thing. It could be I'm going to read five pages of a book for a month. That's it. One step more one tomorrow thing. than today. You don't go run. You can't go off the sofa and run if you've never run. But you can take one more flight of stairs. Yep. You can stop taking trips. elevators. You can stop taking escalators. You can, I don't know, whatever the thing is. I just, guys, I want, I, I share these messages with you. I bring guests on like Chris and have these conversations. These aren't things aren't always easy, but I do it because I love you guys and I know how hard these things are. I think that's why I like having conversations like this because these are hard things. And I think it's important for everyone to know whatever's going on in your head, you are not alone. <laughs> you are not alone. It's it, all of us all the time. The most successful people, when you hear these interviews, you hear these interviews with Kobe Bryant and he'll tell you like, you know, when he gets real, like real, real he'll tell you how he didn't want to get up at 2 a.m. and do these workouts, this maniac workouts. He just, his goal, his life process, what he wanted to teach his children, the man he wanted to be, that's what it was. And there was no other option. So, dude, you- I appreciate the hell out of um, you. Um, I'm going to have links to the book in the show notes. If you're watching on YouTube, you can go in the description. Um, but just call out where can people go and where can they connect with you? I, hit me on LinkedIn. Uh, I love to connect with people. Um, I become more and more active there. I'm trying to figure out how to be on Twitter. Um, but, you know, in terms of just... Let's start on LinkedIn and I'm breaking some of my early rules about letting people I meet like through this into my Facebook world, because what I have found is that um, I'm making very real friends and yeah. it means the world to me to, to share uh, personally that way. But the book is right now, Amazon is great. You can get it on Audible. So it's an all, you know, it's on all formats and and humming along on all cylinders. So I I appreciate it. I want to close with this, Ryan. And maybe there's some folks that don't understand that you and I have built pretty good friendship over the years. And I might just be, you know, asking an insurance famous dude to write the forward for my book. But for those listening, Ryan is the first person I said the words inertia of legacy out loud to. Yeah. And we were in an industry event. We were doing the same thing. We were talking about everything in the world and <laughs> beyond the world. I think we were. I think we were deep in conspiracy <laughs> theories at the time, which is one of our favorite topics. But I told you this dream of of taking this concept that I had and turning it into something. You're like, well, what the hell is it? You know, what is it? And I said it, and you looked at me like, oh, you're gonna have to explain that. And once we started talking, I was like, okay, I'm on to something here. And so, for me, it meant the world that we kind of closed. Yeah, loop, and you were willing to put such a thoughtful um, amount of effort into putting that forward together. So it's so much my honor, and I'm so happy for you. I'm so proud of you. I, I think it's amazing. Uh, you took an idea and you turned it into a real physical thing that people can touch, hold, read, and get value from. I know that when you're putting a book together, it feels like everybody's got a book, and how's my book going to stand out? And I know you all those thoughts are going through your head, and I will tell you that. Most people do not write books. Most people do not write books that get published in a level of quality that you have. And most people do not manifest their dreams in that way. Even though I know for a fact, because I just know (laughs) what goes on, that you're having all these thoughts. Understand, dude, that you have done something that so many people will never do that That in of itself, you should be proud of, but the work product is amazing. And I hope everyone who's listening to this goes and gets the book because uh, you will be better for doing that. I'm going.
going to Shaboom!